Uh, this morning, we are going to be talking about doubt in the context of faith. So we're going to be looking at skepticism and doubt. And uh, I picked that Simpsons clip because, one, I just grew up watching The Simpsons forever. And so whenever I think of something, it always ends up going to The Simpsons. So sorry uh, for those of you that don't like cartoons or, or whatnot. But really uh, love that clip because it's, it's showing this dichotomy between you've got these people that are super religious that they're going to go and you know, destroy science. And then as soon as something goes bad, they're like, oh, science, heal me. And there's this thing in our world where we think that science and faith are these total opposites. And today we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at possibly how they integrate and how skepticism is actually a component of our faith and a component of our journey. And we're going to do that through the context of a guy named Thomas. Uh, Thomas is in the scripture uh, a few different times. He was one of the primary followers of Jesus. And so we're going to read this passage um, here in John 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, who was not with them when Jesus came. So other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And so if you Google Doubting Thomas, a whole bunch of stuff comes up, and you can go down the rabbit trails of a whole bunch of different perspectives. And if you look at some groups of Christians, they would say that Jesus is rebuking Thomas, that he's saying, oh, you of little faith, basically. Like, oh, why would you not just believe this? Well, we encounter this in our own culture today when we've got people who just tell us, well, it's in the Bible, I believe it, end of story. And, like, they just don't engage their brain at all. They just, whatever, whatever I'm told by some religious authority or from some person that uh, has told this to me, I just have to believe it in its entirety and it's settled. Is that really what we are supposed to do? Are we really supposed to just accept whatever a religious leader tells us? Or are we really just supposed to open up our Bible to any Bible passage and go, you know, Lord, tell me what I'm supposed to do today. Open up that Bible and go, that's what I'm supposed to do. So, is there something more that we are supposed to do in relation to thinking and processing the experiences that we have in the world? So Thomas is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, not just because he's doubting and because he's asking questions about it, but because earlier in the book, when you're walking through the book of John, Thomas is there and he would just say stuff that to me is hilarious. So he's with Jesus and Jesus is saying, okay, we are in this place. We need to go back to Jerusalem. We need to go on this travel and go see this, this area. And in order to do so, they're going to go right back into a group of people that just recently were trying to kill Jesus and the disciples. They wanted to get rid of them. They wanted to imprison them. They wanted to get them out of the picture entirely. And Jesus is saying, okay, let's go back there. And Thomas says, all right. Let's go with them that we may also die. <laughs> like, just like this, like, dark, like, uh, and it's prophetic because all of these disciples will eventually be killed for following Jesus, but he's the one that will voice, all right, let's go with them so that we can die too. And 
there's this realization of we're going to step into some mess. So when we pick up here in Thomas, there's a whole bunch of stuff that has happened. And you might be uh, having some context might help you a little bit here. So we're entering into the story where Jesus has already gone through his in-the-flesh ministry. He's already gone and traveled for three years with these group of guys. And at the end of his life, what happens is there's a Jewish crew who is trying to get rid of Jesus because he is claiming to be God, that he actually is God on earth. And so the Jewish people are saying, let's get rid of him. But they don't have the authority to actually do it, so they go to the Romans, who are these groups of people that have taken over the entire area, this, the land of Israel. The Romans are in complete control. They have political power. And the Jews then work with the Romans to get Jesus killed. The, the Romans want him gone because they view him as a political threat, that he's going to take over and try to overthrow the Romans like ha some of the Jewish people had done in the past. So they want to get rid of him as well. So Jesus gets tortured, killed, and all of his disciples, all of the people that were closest to him flee. They all run away. Jesus is left entirely to himself to die alone. Not a glorious picture for the person that was supposed to be the Messiah. Three days after he's crucified, there's this event where all of the disciples are gathered in a room behind locked doors. And they're scared because their leader was just killed and they traveled from, many of them from Galilee, so they have a different accent. Like, they're saying y'all when no one in that area says y'all. And so they stand out. So they're locked in a room trying to stay safe. Jesus enters the room through the locked door, which would terrify me, and Jesus' first words is, peace be with you, probably because if you're inside a locked room and all of a sudden someone comes walking into the room that you didn't expect, it would terrify you. So Jesus comes walking into the room, and all of the disciples encounter Jesus except for one, Thomas. Thomas wasn't in the room when this happened. And there's different speculation on where Thomas was and why he wasn't there, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. All we know is that Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus comes back. The resurrected Christ comes back and meets with them. So the disciples then go and tell Thomas, we saw Jesus. He came and met with us. And Thomas says, huh, he pauses. These are ten people that he has spent the last three years with, traveling from as far north to as far south in Israel as you can go. He has seen Jesus do miraculous things. He has walked and talked with these guys for three years. You know what it's like to go away on vacation with a group of people. Now imagine spending three years with them. You would know them really well. You'd have a very tight relationship. And ten people go to Thomas and say, I saw Jesus. And he says, unless I see proof, unless I see it and touch it, Unless I can actually do it myself, I won't believe it. And so we look at it and say, oh, doubting Thomas. But imagine if you traveled all that time and all of your friends, they went to the Bahamas. And all of them went except you. And that's all they can talk about, right? That's all they can talk about is the thing they did in the Bahamas. Like eventually you would be like, oh, my word. I wasn't there. Stop talking about it. It, it would drive you crazy. So Thomas has probably an element of doubt, but there's also an element of exclusion. These people experience something that he didn't. So he can't relate to where they are. So he's saying, I want to have the same experience that you had. 
And unless I have that experience, I'm, I'm not going to enter into that story. I need to have that experience for myself. And I think we can relate to that because we see that in our own context. Other people do stuff and we get jealous and we're like, oh, I want to experience that too. So a week goes by. An entire week goes by. And if you are reading in a Bible and it says eight days, the Jewish people counted the day that they are there and then they counted out. So they counted the day of. So they said eight days, but it was one week. So one week later, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the reason that all these Jewish people were gathered in Jerusalem, it's over. So they're probably packing up and kind of getting ready to go back home. And they gather back together on the day of resurrection. So a week after this, they gather back together, and this time Thomas is there. Again, doors are locked. Jesus comes walking through. And for those of you that are like new to church or new to Bible stuff, you might be like, okay, wait. You want to tell me that somebody walked through a wall or walked through a locked door? Like, okay, I'm skeptical already. Okay, that's good. You're allowed to be skeptical. That's, that's totally permissible. But again, in the story, we're told that Jesus comes through a locked door and encounters Thomas. And Jesus appears to go right to Thomas and then directly address each of the issues that Thomas had raised when Jesus wasn't present. So there's something going on here where Thomas knows that Jesus cared enough that he went and, and met all of those things that Jesus was, or that Thomas was asking for, that Thomas wanted to know about. So I had this friend who's Greek Orthodox, and he is an amazing guy that I've known now for a couple years. And we had uh, lunch on Friday. And he said, I, this thing happened that I need to tell you about. And I looked up a picture. Uh, I don't know who took this picture. I found it on the internet, because apparently you're not allowed to take pictures. But there's a church in Taylor, Pennsylvania. There's a Greek Orthodox church. In the Greek Orthodox church, they have these things called icons. There are these images, these holy images, that they look at as part of the extended family of Jesus. So it's saints and people throughout history. So there's this icon of the Virgin Mary and, and baby Jesus that apparently the Greek Orthodox Church is saying miraculously is emitting myrrh, like this old oil that was given to Jesus when he was a wee little baby. And so they're saying it's a miracle. And they've got these stories about how if you're sick, you can go and, and touch the oil and the oil will heal you. And so they've got stories of people who were cured from cancer, people that were uh, having you know, trouble getting pregnant and got pregnant, and they've got this whole litany of, of things that they are claiming that this thing does, and it's a miracle, and it's been doing it for like five years, apparently. And he's telling me this, like, isn't God awesome? And I'm like, there's no way that's true. <laughs> like, there's no way that's true at all. And he's like, ah, oh, it's just awesome. Uh, no. Not awesome. Someone's like spray painting that thing every day. Something's going on. And so I, I Google it, and, and so this is a picture that someone took. You can see it over here. There's like this box that has a glass case in it, and they keep it all locked up. And then every now and then, they have a special service where hundreds of people come, and they bring the icon out, and then you can wait in line and, and I guess, like get a, a they, they have Q-tips of the oil that you can actually get. So... Uh, but you're not allowed to take a picture of it. You're not allowed to touch it. You're not allowed to have any person examine it. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's just, no. Totally, totally skeptical of this story. But it's cool that he likes it. So I didn't like try to like rain on his parade, but I asked his permission if I could actually use this as an illustration. I was like, you're talking about skepticism <laughs> at church on Sunday. Can I talk about it? He's like, yeah, that's fine. 
And I was like, this is a cool idea. He's like, you have to go see it. If you, once you see it, you'll believe it. And I was like, no, I won't. <laughs> but cool for him, right? All right. So Thomas is skeptical about what he's seeing. He's, he's he wants to experience the same thing that other people have experienced. Now, there's another story in the Old Testament, uh, in Genesis, which is this book that was written to a group of people that had been in slavery in Egypt for so long that they forgot what it was like to be human. Generations and generations and generations and generations in slavery where they had lost their identity as a people. And so the book of Genesis, the first book in the Christian Bible, is actually a, a letter to them telling them their own story so that they could remember what it's like to be human. So in Genesis 32, there's this story about a guy named Jacob. And Jacob is a really cool Old Testament character because he is a deceiver. He is a liar. He has an older brother who in a Jewish culture would get twice the inheritance that he got. And he would kind of have the family lineage and be the hero. And Jacob tricks his brother out of his birthright, basically like steals all this stuff that really doesn't belong to him, and then he needs to flee because he's probably going to get beat up, killed. Like, it's not going to be a good situation. So he runs away, and he sees a beautiful girl, and he wants to marry the girl, but because women in that day were basically considered property, thank God we've advanced since then, but he's like, I want to marry this woman. And the father-in-law says, great, work for me seven years, and then you can have my daughter. So he does. He works seven years. And the night of the wedding, he has a little too much to drink, and the father-in-law tricks him into marrying the older and slightly less appealing daughter. So he wakes up the next morning with the wrong woman and says, you tricked me! And the guy's like, yeah, about that. Uh, if you want the other daughter, you have to work seven more years. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he works another seven years, which can you imagine being married to one woman for seven years like working for the father, like, yeah, I'm going to get that one next. Like seven years, like, can you imagine those conversations? It's really fascinating. So he works seven years and gets the other woman. And then he's, he's leaving this area. And so after 14 years working there, he'd acquired a lot of stuff. But he's heading back to his homeland. And as he's heading back, he's crossing this river. And he sends his two wives and servants and his 11 sons across the river with all of his stuff. And then the Bible says, and then he wrestled a man. Like, just, so, like, all this stuff goes across, and then he starts wrestling somebody. Like, uh, again, not totally sure how that worked, but he's wrestling this guy. And you can imagine, if you've ever been in a wrestling match, which most of the boys probably have, and girls, if you had, like, an older brother, you probably got forced into it as well, but wrestling takes everything that you have. You have to throw your entire being into this because it is grueling. And so Jacob is wrestling this man. And it says they wrestle all night. And the person he's wrestling realizes that he can't win, that they're evenly matched. And so he pulls out a dirty trick. And it says he touches the hip socket of Jacob and dislocates his hip. And the, uh, the, the man who he says, Jacob later says, is an angel or, or God, um, after he dislocates his hip, says, now let me go. It is daybreak. And Jacob is clinging onto him and says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so the man asks him, what's your name? And he says, Jacob, which means deceiver. And the man replies and says, you have a new name. Your new name is Israel. He renames him in the midst of this all-night struggle battle. I mean, you, you can imagine the exhaustion. I mean, he's just exerted everything. He has everything is across the river. Everything is gone. It's just him. And the Bible says that Jacob was alone. Alone, everything is gone. Identity gone. Wrestles this guy and all of a sudden gets a new identity. Some of you guys have been in seasons of life where you've experienced something like that. Where your identity is in significant turmoil and you don't know why you're there. You don't know what your purpose is. And you might feel exhausted like you've been wrestling somebody or something for a really, really long time. And you're not sure what your next step is or what you're supposed to be doing. I like the character of Jacob because when he's coming to the end of his life, it says that he blesses his grandkids and he was leaning on his staff to worship. I love that little detail because it means that forever after, Jacob walked with a limp because of what he experienced. He had this thing that he carried with him and there's just a limp now wherever he goes. Anytime that he travels, it's a reminder of this encounter that he had with the divine. That he clung on and said, I will not let go unless you bless me. There's a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. And I really love this book because it was incredibly helpful for me. I went to Bible college. I became a Christian later in life. I was 16 years old. And I uh, decided that I was going to go to Bible college, but I was still kind of like a bad kid, and I almost got kicked out three times uh, because I do stupid things. And uh, I barely made it through. But when I got through on the other side, I was working as a youth pastor in a conservative, a really conservative church. And I was there doing my thing that I was like, this is, this is my calling. I'm going to be at this church forever. And my identity was so wrapped up in this. And what started to happen is these questions started to come out. And they really weren't welcome in that community. I really wasn't allowed to ask those questions. It was more like, ah, just, let's, we don't talk about that. Well, we don't do that here. Oh, that, you can't ask that question. And it began to erode my soul. It started to just wear me out from the inside out. And the whole time I'm, I'm wanting to believe in this God. I'm wanting so badly to hold on to it. And I'm really struggling. In the midst of all of that, I wasn't sure what was wrong because God felt really distant. And the, the axiom in that church was, well, God never changes. So if God feels distant, who moved? Ugh. It's awful. I must have some sin problem that's preventing me from experiencing the divine. What am I going to do? And it was a really painful experience. But in, in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, one of the things that he talks about is it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And he looks back at some ancient practices and says that there actually is something that happens within our 
understanding of God. And so you look at ancient history, you look at these people that had committed their lives to studying people. And this is before psychology, this is before sociology, before basically modernity showed up. There were people that were still saying, okay, it seems like there's this progression of how do we understand God. And Schizero talks about these stages. But one of the things that for me was incredibly helpful is this thing that they call the wall. That you hit this thing called the wall. And you've got to either venture through this really painful experience to come out on the other side, or you can retreat back. And so some of you guys have hit things and gotten terrified and retreated. And that's how I was when I was working in that church. I would get up to a point, and it would be terrifying, and I would retreat back. But then eventually, the pain of it got so much that I just had to dig in and go through this experience and quit my job at the church because it was, it was not a healthy place for me. It wasn't a good place for me anymore, and I needed to get away from it. But it was incredibly, it was incredibly difficult because it, I had to take my whole identity that had been wrapped up in this and let it go. And then there's this other part of it where I had all of these ideas about God. I graduated from Bible college, and I had written so many papers about God, I had them all figured out. You could ask me anything, and I could give you the answer. I had God in this beautiful, glorious little box. And whenever I wanted something, I could poke the box and get what I wanted. My understanding of God had to be destroyed. How do you kill something when you've got it set up in the name of God? For me, God had to die. My understanding of God had to die in order for me to then venture through this terrifying experience to come out on the other side and begin exploring about who God is. Because my understanding of God then was I was a brain on a stick, and if I crammed enough information into my brain, Jesus would just magically pop out. That's not how spirituality works. We are whole, we are whole people. And so if we think that we can just read or study and, and that's all we have to do in order to follow Jesus, we're missing out on the actual adventure of embodying the very nature of Jesus and going into a community of people to practice what we've heard about Jesus, practice what we know. And some of you might be on the other side like, well, I'm better than him. I never read a book. Well, I'm not saying that like, that's a healthier understanding. I might challenge you perhaps maybe you should be reading the Bible. Maybe you should be reading some books. Uh, but for us, we've got to take that step of, of if you have doubts that are nagging at you, it might be God wanting to tear down some unhealthy ideas you have about who God is. So one of the things that you have, we've scattered them throughout our seating area here. There are these index cards sitting underneath your chair. might be here and really wrestling with your understanding of God. You might be in a place where you're like, man, I am so skeptical. I, I can't believe a single thing about it. I just got dragged here by somebody else. Or, you know, I'm, I'm clinging on to my faith. I keep coming here because there's, there's something here that I'm interested in, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure if I should keep going. What I would love for you to do is to make this an offering to God that with your index card, I want you to write down what is that doubt 
that is nagging at you? What is the thing that is preventing you from fully stepping into this story and this following Jesus? What, what is that doubt? We're not going to ask you to like stand up and read it. We're not going to ask you to share it with your neighbor. But what we are going to do is we're going to pass around the offering baskets again. And this isn't like, give us more money. This is, I want you to give as an offering the question or the doubt that you're holding on to. So we're just going to take about two minutes. There's going to be some music playing. Uh, if you don't have a pen, can you just shoot your hand up? And, and Pastor Tim is going to come. He'll bring a pen over to you. So we're just going to take about two minutes. We're going to listen to the, a song. And you're gonna, we're going to pass the offering baskets through the aisles again so that you have a chance to make this offering to God. Your doubt is what you are offering up to God. So what is that doubt that you're holding on to? Rescue me, I am drowning in doubt I cannot see, this water's deep I've been treading too long Now I'm sinking, will you let me see If you are there Please through, and we're going to invite you to, to make these doubts your offering to God today. Now, for some of you guys, you're in a place where you're, you're just totally certain about your faith, and you are walking in really healthy ways with God, and that is awesome. And so this isn't a, if you don't have doubts, there's something wrong with you. But what I would say is the Pharisees were a group of people that had everything certain about God. They had God completely figured out. But the Pharisees completely missed the point. And they were missing out on an opportunity to follow Jesus and to, to step into a way of being that was far more fulfilling. They missed out on life to the full because they were so certain about who God was. I would challenge you to, to wrestle through where are the places in your life where you need to take the things that you know and put them into practice? Because as you put it into practice, as you follow Jesus, you're going to be bumping up against experiences that are going to challenge you. Others of us here are more skeptical just maybe by our nature. Or maybe we're like cynical towards faith or cynical towards life. And cynicism will rob us of joy because it doesn't allow us to just have some great experiences. And so if you're holding into skepticism in a, in a really significant way, my challenge to you 
would be to, to let go of some of the cynicism that is probably some deep pain that you don't want to experience again. Because skeptics, we need to be skeptical, but when we take skepticism too far, what happens is we oftentimes don't really do anything. We don't ever take a risk for God. We don't ever put ourselves out of our comfort zone. And so if we're holding on to skepticism as a way of not having to do something or not having to follow because we're always skeptical, you also will miss out on life to the full. You also will miss out on opportunities around you to take steps of faith. So I would challenge you, if you're, if you're skeptical, to, to, to take a step of faith. If you're someone here who knows someone else who's going through significant challenges in their faith, they're, they're struggling with doubt in a really significant way. You just show up and start berating them about, why can't you disbelieve? Why, blah, blah, and, and berate them into it? No, that's not the way either. And so if you're someone that is, is, knows someone that's struggling, the way that we serve that person is by reminding them that we love them no matter what they believe. So when I went through my really painful doubt experience, my wife loved me in the midst of all of it, all the chaos, all the mess, and she loved me in the midst of it, and it was that that helped me get through and get out on the other side of it. So be that person that loves no matter what. That is one of those challenges for us. So when we look at the disciples, when we look at Thomas and the disciples gathered in that room behind locked doors, they stayed together for that that week, they were challenging Thomas to take that next step, to, to, to believe. And he didn't, and he has this experience with Jesus. So in, in the encounter with Jesus, Thomas has changed. But the disciples were still gathering with him. They weren't like, Thomas, you don't believe? Get out of here. This is our gathering. Get out. This is only for us that saw Jesus and believe in it. But Thomas also persevered with them. He stayed with them and was faithful to them and gathered with them as well. So I think we have something that we can learn from this story in Thomas, that we don't all have to completely agree in order to love one another. We can journey together, and I'm still on this journey. And so creating space to hear stories from other people about what it looks like for them to follow Jesus, what prevents them from stepping more fully into a life to the full, this opportunity of following Jesus wherever he would send us, so create space in your own life to hear the stories of others. Hear their doubts and wrestle with them about those doubts. Allow that to be part of your regular practice of hearing and honoring those stories. And here's one of the things that helped me as I wrestled with this. We need data and science in order to understand how the world works around us. But science has its limitations. Jesus walked through a wall. He walked through a locked door. Science can't handle that. And you might go, well, this is the Bible. It's just the Bible. Of course, of course the Bible says miraculous things, but miracles don't really happen. Icons and sheets of paper don't miraculously just start having oil come out of them, right? But there are things that we really can't understand. Science has its limitations. So, for example, if you, want to, if you want to watch a really good video, it's on YouTube, it's called Everything is Spiritual. There's this guy that will make your head spin, but he talks about how science has observed that if you take an atom and you split it in half and you took half of it to New York and half in San Francisco and you spun half of it, the, one, the other half of it would also start spinning at the same time, so somehow they're communicating even though they're in different places. Or they've observed in the, uh, an electron going around 
all of a sudden will disappear and then reappear somewhere else without traveling the space between. And science has observed it and they go, uh, I don't know. And so science has its own limitations. There's something going on. There's some spiritual, mystical thing happening that we can't understand. So we need both science, but science has its limitations and we need to understand that so we can step into this going, ah, God, you're bigger than I can understand. But you are revealing yourself through the person of Jesus, and you're revealing yourself through this community called the church that gathers together as God's representatives here. So our purpose isn't just to come to get together every Sunday and go, yay, I went to church. Our purpose is to be God's representatives to the world around us. We are called as a people to come together and challenge one another, or the Bible says to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, because that's what we were made for. As God's representatives, we go out into the community and carry the values and principles of Jesus forward by loving people no matter where they are, even if we disagree. So you have a role in the story. Regardless of what doubts you're carrying, regardless of the fact that you may not have any doubts, you are called as a community to go forward and have this message and embody this message of Jesus in your local community. So take the talents and skills that you have whatever it may be, and figure out how to get those embedded in the community. If you're not sure, if you're like Jacob, and you're, you have this story that you've been playing out for so long, and you're having this, you, you need this new identity, it's found in the context of community. So this fall, we're going to have community groups running again, and I would encourage you to get into a community group. My wife and I have been at Coin Us now for two years, and we've been going to a community group that has been incredibly life-giving for us. It's a group of people that, in the midst of my doubting, in the midst of my struggling, they're okay with it, and we can talk through it and wrestle through it together. So I would really encourage you to get connected. If you're like, I just, I don't even know where to start, come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Tim, talk to Pastor Andrew, and we can get you connected in a way that could bring your life to the full and show what that next step might look like. But more, stepping more fully into your own story will also allow others to step more fully into their story. So as you begin to understand yourself in a more significant way, you also will help others to step more fully into their story. So, why is there a cat up there? There's a WikiHow article on how to carry a cat. Did you know that? So you can actually Google how to carry a cat and hear all the various ways of carrying a cat. Faith is like holding a cat by the tail. There are some lessons you can only learn by doing them. I can explain to you what would happen if you held a cat by the tail, but if you ever did it, you would learn a lesson that you could only learn that way and you would never do it again. Or you could be like a bird who understands all of how so birds fly. Birds fly and they can tell you everything about it, but if the bird hasn't actually flown, it's missing out on this significant component. And so it is with our faith. We can know everything about it, or we can doubt it forever, but until you actually step in and experience it, you're missing out on something so significant. So don't stay where it's comfortable. Take that risk to step forward. Here's a quote by a guy named Tim Keller. My name is Tim Kohler. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and he says this, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen to her own doubts 
which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and neighbors. But even as believers should learn to look for reasons behind their faith, skeptics must learn to look for a type of faith hidden within their reasoning. All doubts, however skeptical and cynical they may seem, are really a set of alternative beliefs. You cannot doubt belief A from a position of faith in belief B. Every doubt is based on a leap of faith. So we can be empirical scientists as much as we want. We have to understand that there are limitations there as well. All right. We are to live today as signposts pointing toward a future heavenly reality. So regardless of what doubts, struggles that you're carrying or not carrying, we are to live today as signposts pointing toward a future heavenly reality. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do more than all we could ask or think. He goes beyond our own capabilities of understanding. So step into the mysterious. Embrace it. Don't be scared of it. And that offering that you've given up to God, those doubts, my prayer for you is that you would continue to venture through them and wrestle through them in the context of a community of people who love you and will journey with you no matter what. God, thank you for today, and thanks for the way that you are present and working in us and through us. So God, we look forward to being able to be a people that loves you in the midst of doubt, loves you regardless of what's going on in our lives. But God, we just ask that we would have the courage to change our convictions uh, if we find that we are off. And God, we just ask that as we go through this day, you would open our eyes to the pains of the people around us, that we might be able to be your representatives to the world and love people in a way that is supernatural. God, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.